One, two, three, four. Screen time, screen time, screen time, screen time. Screen time. It's my screen time too. Screen time, screen time, screen time. Hello and welcome to It's My Screen Time Too, the podcast where two moms review the best and worst in children's programming from Netflix reboots and YouTube shorts to Disney classics and Pixar blockbusters. We watch, you listen. Find out what you can tolerate watching for family movie night, what to avoid altogether, and what you'll want to watch alone voluntarily. I'm Deborah, And I'm Katie. And I have three kids. Libby and Nate are nine and Tony is 12. And I have two kids. Jay is six and Kenny is three. They are all super adorable, and we both like to tell a quick story at the top of the episode about how awesome or occasionally awful our kids are, because in addition to being witty and incisive pop culture consumers, we're moms too. Deborah, what have your kids been up to? Libby and Nate have an assignment in their second grade class to make a PowerPoint, well, not a power, Google Slides, on uh, like how to do something and it is so cute they are so into it Libby got permission to like bring home a Chromebook from school so she could work extra on it and like Nate figured out how to access it on the iPad and he took like his his how-to is how to make s'mores in the microwave oh (laughs) useful advice yeah, and also delicious. <laughs> <laughs> it's so cute to see them super enthusiastic about a school assignment. It's a That's good one. Awesome. Yeah, and then they have to they have to make the presentation, and then they have to present it to their class, and then they also evaluate other people on their slides and their presentation. So it seems like a very good, well-rounded communication assignment. Yeah. That's awesome. What is Libby's on? (laughs) How to draw a running dog. That is very specific. (laughs) Specific and really ambitious. And I was like, that sounds like super impossible. But then I followed her instructions and I drew a pretty good running dog. That's awesome. (laughs) Look out art for kids hub. Libby's coming (laughs) for (laughs) you. How about your kids? What have they done lately? Okay, so I know that we're not supposed to generalize about things that happen at particular ages in a kid's life. Like, we're no longer supposed to talk about the terrible twos or our kids being a three-nager or whatever because it perpetuates stereotypes and some say encourages this kind of behavior. Mm -hmm. Let's just say that Kenny is dealing with a lot of emotions lately (laughs) and he really does not like to be told what to do he knows his own mind and lately when one does something that he disagrees with whether it be me Kevin or his older brother his response is to berate them as if they were the dog so it's (laughs) bad mommy bad mommy and he just says it again and again and again and it breaks my heart but I have no idea where it came from (laughs) is that how you deal with Stella like no Stella is an old lady who like very rarely does things that require berating like I don't know that it's even language that he hears all that much 
<laughs> oh, funny. Is it from a cartoon? Could be. YouTube? Ooh, I hope not. I'm still pretty strict <laughs> about YouTube. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. I hope that you um get it uh, on a little video and then you can show him when he's like 15. Oh, that's a good idea. Then at least something good would come of this <laughs> phase that I can't chalk up to him being three, but it is what it is. <laughs> we have a bit of a mixed bag for screen time in the news today, but I did pull up this kind of funny article from April 12th on Collider by Amanda Cataldo with the headline, 10 animated movies that prove animation isn't just for kids. Listeners, I don't know if you remember a couple episodes back, we talked about that moment at the Oscars. There was some controversy over whether or not animation for adults exists. So this is kind of an expansion of that. And it was your typical listicle. And there are are some grown-ups movies on this list, but there are plenty that are actually made for kids. So I just need to emphasize again that the problem isn't that people don't recognize that animation is made for grown-ups. It's that they don't realize that animation that's made for kids is actually good. Yeah, this was a bizarre list. (laughs) Yes, it really was. And I know a listicle is a listicle. Like, reporters, you're not putting your heart and soul into this. I understand. But it Mm -hmm. is our job to parse these things. So parse it, we did. (laughs) Uh, There are some of the usual suspects for grown-up only animated movies like Waking Life, Flea, which just won at the Oscars this year, Grave of the Fireflies, Sausage Party, which isn't good just because it's not made for kids. It's not good. Yeah. I mean, like, swing for the fences conceptually, I guess, but not for me. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Seth Rogen at all. (laughs) (laughs) The ones that are made for kids are a lot of ones we've covered on the podcast. Mitchell's versus the Machines, Klaus. Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. These are great movies with a lot for grown-ups to love. And again, we don't need to put them into these little boxes and say they're either made for grown-ups or they're made for kids. Or being good means they must be made for grown-ups. I just, I'm so, I'm so angry at the discourse. (laughs) Side note, Fantastic Mr. Fox is also on the list. You know I love stop-motion animation, and this is officially the only Wes Anderson movie I've ever liked. Really? I never saw that one. I don't know. How do you feel about Fantastic Mr. Fox in the, like, Roald Dahl canon? I'm not... I don't think I've ever read it. It's like a younger reader than his classics. I read it a lot as a kid, so I was primed to, like, the movie. Okay. Um, And also with the stop motion animation, that is also something I really like. But having liked Fantastic Mr. Fox, I then was excited to see, oh, what what is the other stop motion animation Wes Anderson movie? It's like about communism and Isle of Dogs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Did you see that one? Is that the racist one? All I remember is not enjoying it and feeling hoodwinked okay I didn't I I have not seen that one either it is emphatically not for kids 
Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, we also wanted to talk about another thing that's happening in the news lately. Uh, we don't have a specific article to discuss, but we thought we should bring it up. All this stuff going on with Netflix. Listeners, you know we cover a lot of Netflix shows on our program because they have a solidly good history of producing good kids content, I think. Yeah. Netflix recently announced their first ever drop in subscribership, which has the company panicking and a lot of drastic decisions are being made as a result. They're firing a bunch of people. They're canceling a lot of announced projects. And it has a lot of people really worried about the future of the company and the future of the content they'll be able to produce. Are you worried at all about their kids content as a result of this announcement? I guess they have, I mean, there's so much already on the platform. I feel like you could probably never reach the end of content on Netflix as it is. So I'm not too worried. And there's enough good stuff that you could watch over and over again and still be satisfied with it. I'm not worried for myself, I guess. It is kind of troubling that like the whole venture capital, hyper capitalist, late stage capitalism, like you have to make money, exponential growth is necessary or you're not succeeding. Like that part is frustrating to me. Can't they just be happy to make like a regular amount of money per year? Why do, why, if it's not exponential growth, like that doesn't mean that it's not a successful business. Exactly. And like, we should know this, but it just, I guess we're being newly confronted with the fact that making a good product is not at all what they care about. Like th- they right. don't care about the quality. They care about adding to their subscriber base regardless of the quality. Right. I've read a couple things about shows that have already been axed, upcoming kids programs. They had another Chris Nee production that is no longer being made at Netflix. Um, Chris Nee listeners is the genius behind Doc McStuffins, a favorite of ours. Oh, shoot. And then there was another one and uh, something about a warrior who was turned to butter and has to fight evil. I don't know. It was done as an effort to bring in more Asian American creators. And that was, of course, axed. It makes me worry. Like, awesome projects like Maya and the Three, which we really loved, I wonder mm-hmm. if things like that are going to be able to find a home on Netflix anymore. It seemed like, I mean, maybe the golden age of streaming content is coming to an end. It'll be interesting to see if another streamer steps up in the arena of kids content and we see. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, some real powerhouses being produced somewhere else. So we'll keep our eyes open. Today, we are reviewing the film Better Nate Than Ever. It was released on Disney Plus on April 1st, 2022. It's rated PG and it uh, is an excellent runtime of 94 minutes. It's based on a 2013 novel by Tim Federal, who also wrote two sequels. He also wrote the script and directs the movie. According to IMDb, he's going to direct Sister Act 3. So excited. Yeah. So in this movie, 13-year-old Nate is the main character. He dreams of being a Broadway star. 
Um, and then after not getting a part in his middle school musical, he um, and his best friend Libby go to visit New York and audition for a real Broadway show. Why did we pick it? Uh, because I have a son named Nate and I, <laughs> he didn't want to watch it. Um, yeah, I know, but his sister Libby and I watched it. Um, and then I just have to tell you this. Well, I already texted you about this. So we like started it, found out the best friend's name was Libby, thought that was astonishing and Libby was just like oh it'd be funny if there was a character named Tony the older brother his name is Anthony (laughs) (laughs) so perfect fit and obviously we had to cover it yeah what um and also you love musicals who doesn't love musicals well my son Tony doesn't love musicals (laughs) (laughs) well big question did you like it I loved it. What did you think? It was so fun. I love uh, an underdog makes good story. It's so satisfying. Totally. Totally. It takes place modern day, like, but there's so many, um, like, throwbacks to the movies that I have loved throughout my life that are really, it's pretty much like an archetype, like kids go into the big city without their parents and, um, learn something new about themselves and become a little more grown up. Like, I just love that story arc. Mm -hmm. Agreed. And this was, um, even though it was archetypal, it felt fresh to me. I feel like it's early to dive into this, but Nate clearly reads as gay, right? Right. But it's never brought up in the movie. Like it's never made explicit. How did you feel about that? That was interesting. I mean, because they are young, like 13. So I guess I was surprised at the scene on the bus when Libby kind of confesses that she's been into the whole theater thing just because it's a way for them to spend time together and kind of insinuates that she has a crush on Nate and wants to be more than just friends. I was surprised by that. I thought they were just friends. Mm -hmm. I don't know. That part felt a little bit like focus grouped. I don't know. I didn't think we needed to see that in order to realize that Nate marches to his own drummer. And (laughs) right. I do also love uh, boys and girls can be friends without romantic tension plot line. Yeah. What did you what did you think about about it? While I would have loved them to be able to like explicitly state that Nate was gay and he realized this about himself and accepted it and everything was wonderful, like I also understand why Disney felt like they weren't able to do that. Yeah. And but and also it is a bit like I do want to see that kind of kid represented in media, but it is also like a little bit limiting to assume that the kid who loves show tunes and wants to be a Broadway actor is gay because maybe not. Yeah, you're exactly right. And inclusivity goes all the way around. Wait a minute, wait a minute, Deborah. So what you're saying is there are more than two ways to be in the world? <laughs> I just need a minute. I, I need a minute. <laughs> That's exactly right. It would be... Given that, I don't know if this widens the spectrum or narrows it. Right. Right. Hmm. Interesting to ponder. 
one thing that I did really love that had nothing at all to do with Nate's sexuality <laughs> was in the opening montage when he is so excited to go to school and see the cast list posted because he's so sure he's going to get the lead. He leaves his room. He goes to take a shower. He turns on the shower, does not get in the shower, and just sprays himself with Axe body spray. <laughs> and that felt like such a specific beat to being a certain age boy. <laughs> yes, totally, totally. The beginning, like, the, I mean, everything about this movie was great, but the beginning really set it up in a way that I knew I was going to love it. Like, there's a picture of Bernadette peters on his dresser uh-huh. he's got a glitter case for his phone he's got a arc again an archetypal jock for an older brother who <laughs> ridicules him as he's leaving the bathroom like it's just it's everything i want in like a tween type of movie it was a great introduction talk about show don't tell you knew this character immediately within the first five minutes they were very clear. Yeah, I also liked how the house was sort of a throwback to like the 80s movies where everything is messy and it's clearly a dump in the suburbs. And like it wasn't a Nancy Myers type uh, domestic tableau. Yeah, a lot of this echoed some of those 80s classics to me. Like I couldn't get Ferris Bueller out of my head mm, or yes. maybe even more so Adventures in Babysitting. Like like you were saying, kids take an adventure to the big city without their parents and learn and grow and it's funny and wonderful. Right. Nate's totem throughout is a lucky rabbit's foot. Are rabbit's feet still a thing? Slash rabbit's feet are gross. They are gross. Are they real? Like, if you buy one, is that really a rabbit's foot? I'd like to think no. But maybe? But he was just, he he was just buying this thing at a random kiosk or a random newsstand in New York City. Like, really? Is that still a thing? Like, it would be like a poppet keychain, right? Not a rabbit's foot. Right. We'll have to look when we're out and about. Yeah. Next time I'm in the big city. Listeners, <laughs> have you seen a newsstand selling rabbit's feet? Let us know. These are the important <laughs> questions that we like to get into here on It's My Screen Time too. And also, was it ever, did it fun, like, did it help him? Or did was it like a Dumbo's feather type of thing? Did he, re- I can't remember. Did he realize he didn't really need it? Or did it actually help him? He didn't have it for a big chunk of the movie. Yeah. And he was still successful. I don't know. So let's talk about these instantly recognizable characters with the great names. Was there anyone that you <laughs> particularly loved or hated? I mean, I really thought that the uh, young actor who played Nate was very good. I thought I liked everybody. Like there's some scenes where it's like wannabe Broadway children and stage moms and um crabby uh casting directors like everybody was really well cast I thought and then Nate's aunt is none other than uh Phoebe (laughs) who looks amazing by the way I spent a good chunk of the movie thinking to myself is that Lisa Kudrow no it must just be a much younger actress that looks exactly like Lisa Kudrow but no it really was Lisa Kudrow 
Yeah. And she looked great. She had a weird Rachel type haircut though. I thought, was that deliberate or is that how her, is that her hair? I feel like we're having a little bit of concept creep when it comes to the Rachel. The layers were way longer than a Rachel. <laughs> oh, were they? I don't yeah. know. Rachel okay. layers like start almost at your jawline. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> but I thought they did a really great job of making her look like the actress that played Nate's mom. I thought they did a mm-hmm. great job of making Nate's parents in general look completely exhausted in yeah. the way of working parents. I yeah, I thought the the entire casting was really great. Have you watched High School Musical the musical the series? No, I haven't. I've never seen High School Musical either. All right, well, I at least got you on that one. I have seen all three installments of High School Musical, but I've never seen the series and I think that is where the brother Anthony comes from. He's like one of the stars oh. of that. Okay. Okay. Um, another thing I haven't watched it or read is Wicked. Mm. And I felt like I was missing out on some inside baseball references to Wicked. Yeah. Despite the classic Bernadette Peters picture on his nightstand, they really do lean into the Wicked references. I feel like that's probably the most oft referenced musical in the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, the good news is you'll be able to experience Wicked soon in two parts. Have you read about this at all? I did. Yeah, that made me kind of excited because I'm pretty sure my kids would really enjoy. I'm sure Libby and Nate would enjoy seeing it because they love musicals. And I totally missed that phenomenon when it was touring. The little boy that played Nate, you are so right. He was such a credibly super enthusiastic theater kid. (laughs) I just wanted to hug his little self the whole time. I read a review of the movie on the New York Times, in the New York Times, Uh uh, by Amy Nicholson. And I just have to share with you this quote, talking about Ruby Wood, quote, whose wired performance has the flavor of Hugh Jackman's exuberance squeezed into an espresso cup. End quote. I just love that line. I felt like it is totally descriptive of this boy's performance. Yeah, yeah. We talked a little bit about the believability of the suburban homes. Do you have any other thoughts on the look of the movie? I thought this was just perfect. When Nate and Libby arrive in uh, probably like Grand Central Station or whatever the big bus stop is, they get off the the Greyhound and they're like, oh my God, and Enya music is playing. And then the music stops and you hear like a jackhammer sound. You see a rat scurrying on the curb. You see like a giant pile of garbage bags. Somebody bumps into them and like harasses them for being tourists. And still Nate and Libby are like, we're here on the the greatest place on earth. And it's like, so captures like, that adolescent haze through which you see like something that you've always aspired to. You don't see the dirty, messy, jackhammery parts. How much do I wish I could still look at life that way? (laughs) I know. And then also, so like Nate really idolizes his aunt who lives in kind of a crummy apartment, but, and isn't like a Broadway star. She's just like scraping by and doing like bar mitzvah gigs on the side to afford her artist lifestyle but like her apartment really looked 
like a kid would look at it like super glamorous, uh-huh. but like an adult knows this is not the nicest place to live. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Nate would occasionally have musical dream sequences or daydream sequences. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. About his time in New York and all the sets were like stage sets but like made of cardboard almost mm-hmm. I really loved that for the look of things like his image of New York is this candy colored dream that has nothing to do with reality and I thought that was a really effective way of portraying that yeah yeah totally uh speaking of his musical dream sequences what did you think of the music I liked it. No one song really stuck out as like a particular hit to me, but I liked them all. I what did you think? think there wasn't enough. I would have taken yeah. more musical numbers, but it came in at a tidy 94 minutes. Can't complain about that. Definitely not. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> would you ever see the... The show that Nate is auditioning for is Lilo and Stitch the Musical. Would you ever see it? I guess if my kids wanted to. Is that a real show? No. Or not uh, yet. Maybe Disney's working on it. I think that's a Disney movie that came out like before I had kids or before my kids were really watching movies and um, just passed by my radar. I never got into it. How about you? A lot of grown-up Disney fans really love Stitch. There's like a huge yeah. Stitch following and I'm just like eh, he seems fine. <laughs> yeah, I would not, I would I mean, if I got to pick what I would see as a staged Disney remake, I'd probably pick like a dozen other movies before I would pick that one. Okay, I just want to ask, was Amy Palladino Sherman involved in this at all? Because I thought that the dialogue was so snappy. It reminded me of like a Gilmore Girls type dialogue. I don't don't think so. I love that though. Yeah. So should we move on to our evergreen questions? Let's do it. Okay. Were you able to compare this to any adult movie or show? I already said that I kept thinking about Ferris Bueller and Adventures in Babysitting, but I don't feel like those qualify for qualify as movies made for grownups as much as I love them. So I was trying to think of a movie that was about like the Broadway audition process. And I Mm -hmm. was reminded of this kind of documentary that came out a while ago called every little step. And it was about a bunch of people auditioning for the chorus line or a chorus line. Oh, okay. So it was kind of a peek behind the curtain of the audition process. And I remember really liking it. And I think it's been a solid 10 years plus since I saw it. So it might be fun to revisit. Yeah. I could only think of the types of movies that came before this one. Like I thought about Big. I thought about, of course, Adventures in Babysitting, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the book from the mixed up files of Mrs. Basil E. Frankweiler, um, the movie Center Stage, which I only recently watched. For the first time? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, maybe like a year ago I watched it, but that's not something I watched as a younger person. Were you able to cast the gritty HBO reboot? This is fun for me. I really struggled. Like I wanted some super enthusiastic Broadway people. So I Uh wanted to somehow put Anne Hathaway in there. I wanted to somehow put Hugh Jackman in there. But as far as casting Nate, 
I was having a really hard time with it. And then I remembered this viral clip that went around of the show Lip Sync Battle. Okay. Have you heard of this show? No. Okay. Well, it is exactly what it sounds like. I've only ever seen this one clip, so I don't know much about the show. But it was... uh, Why am I blanking on this little boy's name? He's not a little boy. He's like grown. Uh, Spider-Man? What is that actor's name? Andrew Garfield? Nope. Nope. The new one. <laughs> uh, Tom Holland. Okay. Okay. So it was Tom Holland doing a lip sync performance to Rihanna's Umbrella. Okay. And he was in it. Like he was 100% in it. And I respect that. And I know he's too old to play Nate, but that's all I could come up with. How about you? Um, I would like to see either Andrew Rannells or Jonathan Groff playing um, like a grown-up Nate. And I would like to see Lacey Mosley as Libby. And then um, for like the elder, the Broadway elder, I would love to see, speaking of Ferris Bueller's Day Off, I would cast Matthew Broderick as like the uncle. (laughs) I think that would be fun. Um, And then if he's unavailable, I would try to get Bernadette Peters to play that role instead, of course. Of course. Um, Was it better when we were kids? We already had these other examples that we talked about. Although, interestingly enough, neither Ferris Bueller or Adventures in Babysitting were about New York. They were both about Chicago, yeah? Mm -hmm. Yeah, but still like big city. Yeah, when we were kids, this level of enthusiasm for Broadway was definitely still widely mocked by most peers. Not that it's not today. I'm sure kids are still jerks. But uh, we didn't have anything with quite this level of loving tribute in it. I would have appreciated it, certainly. (laughs) Yeah, I think I would have. I mean, part of why I liked it so much is I would have loved it when I was like my kid's age. Mm -hmm. I would have loved to watch this. I would have watched it over and over again if we had the VHS tape Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) for sure um would you ever watch this alone voluntarily I did watch it alone because I was quarantined for COVID so I was separate (laughs) from my children and I think that they're both a little on the young side I mean Jay maybe not so much uh but the plot is a hard sell I don't think I have to watch this alone voluntarily because I think like Libby's already watched it another time. So I think if I want to watch it again, I can easily find somebody who will watch it with me. So 10 seconds on whether or not this is good for our kids. I think that the plot is a little bit sophisticated for younger kids, but I think for upper elementary middle school, totally good. Agreed. I think obviously Kenny is too young. He he can't follow something like this. Uh, for Jay's age, like first grade, that's where I really think more musical numbers would have come in handy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But great movie. Just not quite for my kids yet. Ratings? Um, I think I said earlier that my kids were in second grade, but they're not. They're in third. <laughs> <laughs> I know you said that. And I was like, I don't think our kids are that close in age. But Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> For ratings, I would give this a four and a half. I really enjoyed it. How about you? Yeah, I I think I can come come with you on that four and a half. I thought it was a lot of fun. 
Well, thank you for listening to this episode of It's My Screen Time 2. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Check out our website at myscreentime2.com. And you can find us on pretty much all the socials, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even on Gmail at myscreentime2. Send us your show or movie suggestions, article recommendations, or general comments about the show. Our theme music was composed and performed by Deborah and her adorable children, and our podcast is produced by me, Katie. Tune in next time for more real talk about the movies and TV beloved by kids and tolerated by parents. Bye. Bye. Screen time. Screen time. Screen time.